back to Eat Gluten-Free With Me podcast. This is Lauren, your host, and I'm so excited for you to be here today to listen to the podcast with myself as well as Kendra. You may know Kendra and Suki from Instagram or TikTok. They are both very well known in the social media and celiac world. Kendra trained her dog Suki in May of 2020 to be a gluten detection dog, and so many people have asked me questions on this topic. I didn't know much about the topic before talking with Kendra other than the idea that the thought of having a gluten detection dog seems so cool, so I decided to invite Kendra on the podcast to talk a little bit more about her experience. So the real question is, should you be getting a gluten detection dog? Well, listen along and you will find out her honest answer. Let's get into it. Welcome, Kendra. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Lauren. I really appreciate it. For sure. Do you want to kind of walk a little bit through your experience with celiac disease, how you got diagnosed, um, what symptoms you had? Yeah, so my experience is kind of different than probably most where I didn't have digestive issues. I had a cough that wouldn't quit. And so I just saw tons and tons of doctors and I was very, very, very sick. And I finally went to a doctor who um, ran every possible test. And one of the tests was for celiac disease. It was so crazy. I think my my body just completely shut down. And I had other stuff going on, but that's how he uncovered it, um, was that. And now looking back, I had digestive issues and things like that. And I definitely get that if I get gluten. But, um, but yeah, at the beginning, that was... That was kind of what triggered it was me being so sick. And in terms of like your symptoms, was your cough your only symptom? No, I mean, looking back, I had I had a lot more. Um, I did have digestive issues, but it was stuff that you would put, you would just kind of, I would brush off and think, oh, that I had severe fatigue. I had brain fog. Um, a joint pain tends to be that. And it's hard to know because I was really, really sick. Um so there was so much wrong with me and the cough was just the most outward symptom that was terrible. But, um, but you know, now when I get gluten, which I don't, um, because of Suki, but it's, you know, I get terrible brain fog. I get bad digestive upset. I got headaches, fatigue, uh, a lot of joint, joint pain is one of my worst, like ongoing symptoms. Um, and yeah, I, I the last time I was glutened, I had sores all down my throat, so that was that was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, and I and I do think I I get the the um the DH sores too. So it's interesting that you say like joint pain is one of your biggest symptoms because when I first got diagnosed with celiac disease, I was kind of in a similar situation. I kind of just brushed off my symptoms because. They weren't really enough for me to be like, whoa, something's wrong. It was just like, you know, burping and, you know, I wasn't gaining weight and I would get bloated every once in a while. Kind of just things that to me were normal because I had been experiencing them for so long. Um, So for me, what triggered me to go to the doctors was my burping turned into like vomiting after I ate. And my friends were like, I think something's wrong. And I was like, really? Like what? (laughs) Because I was just so used to it. That to me, it felt normal. So I kind of like understand that experience with it. No, I mean, now looking back, like I had a point where almost every other day I would throw up in the morning. Like I would, I wasn't nauseous or, you know, just all of a sudden I'd be drinking my tea and I'm like, I have to throw up and, and just random stuff that you wouldn't, you didn't think there was anything of it except for it just happened to you. Right. But you just kind of, 
move on. Right? Yeah. And then the joint pain. Like when I first got diagnosed, my symptoms were like, because I was consuming gluten regularly, my symptoms, you know, were kind of maintained. But as I went along, um, like now when I get gluten, I get severe joint pain. And I had never had that when I first got diagnosed. But man, it like wipes you out. I, I, I can't even like hold my body upright because my joints hurt so bad. And I just feel like crane literally hit me. It took, it took a few months and I, and I did have other stuff going on with me. I had some other infections and I, it was like, I was a complex case. I, um, I don't have a thyroid. I was removed a long time ago. I had thyroid cancer, which was most likely Hashimoto's. So, you know, there's all this other autoimmunity stuff going on that those processes are still in place, but it probably took a good three months before I started to feel somewhat normal. I mean, I think healing is still ongoing. I was diagnosed late 2017 and um, I would say it's still ongoing. I mean, there's still stuff that I'm adding back into my diet, um, you know, and adjusting and things that I go, you know, that doesn't really agree with me because it's, it's, it's complex, right? It's, it's not as simple. It's not as simple as, oh, just eat gluten-free. There's a lot of, you know, healing that needs to happen and things like that. So, yeah. And I think for me, the other challenge was I would get really sick anytime I would go out. Like I cooked at home. I was very strict and did everything. But if I, I traveled a lot for work and if I would go out, I would get sick. And that was, that was kind of the point where I'm like, I got to do something different to try and keep myself from getting and when that happens, when you consistently get sick, you build up this anxiety around eating out. And that's, I'm actually experiencing that right now because I'm currently in Brazil and they don't really understand like what gluten is here and what cross-contamination is here. And because I have so many experiences in the United States where I can communicate where I've gotten sick, you know, if you don't know what it is, it gives me this sense of like PTSD. I'm like, oh, there's no way I can eat because, you know, I'm so scared. And I think it's, and, you know, for people to hear that, you know, anxiety eating out is a thing with celiac disease. And it's probably something you won't know when you first get diagnosed because you're just trying to grasp the concept, the concept of what gluten is. And you haven't even gotten to that stage where you're like worrying about cross-contamination, but it is very normal and it is scary. And I think that's why so many people are interested in um, gluten detection dogs because, it can help you in so many ways and kind of ease that anxiety. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear about your experience and what your thoughts are. Yeah. And that was the reason because I was getting sick. I, that was kind of what I decided to, to get a gluten detection dog. I thought this will be great. And I always grew up having dogs and I thought, well, I'm going to have a dog anyway. My other dog who was just a pet was, I knew he didn't have much time left because he was 16. Um, so that was, and then COVID hit and it was like, okay, I'm not traveling. I'm home. This might be my one golden opportunity to train a puppy and do that. And, and, um, and then if it could make my life easier in terms of going out to eat and travel and things like that. And I would say, um, that was, that was my, my main motivation for getting a gluten detection dog and, and, and working with, so I trained with a gluten detection trainer. I only recommend you work with a gluten detection trainer and we trained over zoom. So throughout the pandemic, I've got Suki as an eight week old puppy and trained her from the beginning. 
Um, we started gluten detection training when she was probably six months old. Wow. So is it, is it better to train your dog when they're younger versus older or does it matter? Yeah, because you also only have so much life for the dog, right? And it takes a good several years to get the training. Um, and, and then it's not done. So like right now we're doing some more advanced training and I'm retraining her in certain things, um, to make sure that she's not, what we found was that she was, um, indicating off of me. So there were times when we'd be out and she'd sniff and then stop and look at me, like, tell me what to do. And that's not a right behavior. Um, but she's so tuned into me to watching me. So now we're working on getting it to where she's not at all looking at me, but it's a good two years to train a dog for gluten detection. So when you figure in a dog doesn't have generally their full lifetime to work as a service dog, just because it's a lot on them. So if you're out and travel and stuff like that, that's a lot of physical energy for them that, you know, as they get older, they're going to want to be sleeping more and be home and, and things like that. So, um, so you definitely want to get a young dog. It doesn't necessarily, you don't, you don't need to start, you know, you're not starting when they're a baby for gluten detection, but you are starting with behavior and stuff like that. So gluten detection is one part of the training. The other part is a service dog training. So them behaving properly, um, you know, doing commands, being calm. So if it's in a workplace environment or you're going somewhere, that dog needs to be laying down and unseen at a restaurant, needs to be under the table, ignoring food, not looking at people, not talking, you know, barking or whining or crying completely. So those kind of things, because she has to be with me all the time. So she flies with me on an airplane. She goes to restaurants with me, you know, sits in meetings with me. So that's another part of the training too. That's it's, it's very long and drawn out. That's very interesting. Cause I didn't even think of that aspect, but it makes sense now that you say it, you know, you think gluten detection, you're, you're thinking about how is it helping you with celiac disease? Like how is it, you know, determining if there's gluten in the food, but I didn't even think like you can't bring dogs to all restaurants and they have to behave. So it's, it's double training, which is, yeah, definitely difficult for a dog, but it obviously provides many benefits. Would you mind kind of walking me through the process of how you find someone who can help you train your dog in terms of, you know, gluten detection? I went around it the wrong way. Um, I started working with just a regular local trainer and I thought that would be great. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm training my dog to do gluten detection. And uh, she was not a gluten detection trainer. Her methods were very dangerous. And I was posting videos on Instagram and somebody reached out to me and said, you're going to kill yourself by doing, like she was having me have Suki sniff flour. And so there was flour in the air. Like I have a gluten-free home. I don't have, and she goes, you're glutening yourself every day. And I'm like, I thought so, but I'm trusting this trainer because I'm not a dog trainer. And so she recommended then her trainer. But if you're going to go for a trainer, you have to have someone that specializes in gluten detection. It is, it is, it is not just your run-of-the-mill training to sit and stay and lay down and, you know, service dog training of just behavior. Anybody can do that. This is, they're watching your body language, 
the dog's body language, they're seeing what it is. And that dog has to be accurate for your health. So we don't want that. We want that dog to learn properly because you don't want that dog to be, I mean, if she indicates incorrectly for me, I'm going to get sick and that's dangerous. Um, so, so that's what I'd look for a trainer that, um, specializes in specifically gluten detection. And do they have to have certifications or anything like that? I always look for a trainer that is a positive reinforcement trainer and that does have training certifications. So my trainer has its pages of certification. So I don't know specifically what that, you know, I mean, I can't give you a list, but that's what you want to look for. There are trainers out there who just decide to start training. Um, and this is, a, this is a long-term thing. So like my trainer has assistant trainers that she's training and putting through an apprenticeship program. So they're learning about it and then they'll be certified under her program as well. So, you know, you don't want somebody that's just like, like for me, if I was going to go out and say, Hey, I know how to train a dog in gluten detection and trying to teach people that's crazy because frankly, I don't know everything there is to know about it. And I'm not trained to understand because the other part is every dog learns differently too. And so the, the methods and the training, and there's a ton of troubleshooting that goes into it. How did you find your trainer? Did you find her just through Google? No, I, I found her cause somebody reached out to me on Instagram and said, you need to connect with my trainer. And she goes from beginning to end in terms of helping you select a dog, because that's also important. You don't want just, you want a dog that's going to be successful in the long term, which I didn't do that. I had a dog and then I found the trainer. That's not what I recommend. So you do recommend, you know, finding a dog with the trainer? Yes. Yes. So the trainer would help you because then you could see that they have the right characteristics because not every dog is going to be, have the right temperament to do it. Yeah. That was kind of one of my other questions. Are there specific breeds that you know of that are like better at gluten detection? Not necessarily. You want a dog that can work and that is interested in working. So my example I always use is I grew up with Shih Tzus and they weren't, they were dogs that kind of like to just sit on your lap or, you know, lay on their beds. They're great dogs and they're smart and they're nice. They're not interested in working. They're not interested in having a task. So you want a dog that's interested in that. And you also want a dog that is, um, pretty much bulletproof that they're just able to adapt to any situation. So for example, I'm going and I travel with Suki. I'm in crowds. You go to the airport, you're on and off rental car shuttles. There's noises and people and uh, craziness. If you have a dog that's at all skittish or scared or anxious, that's not a right dog. When you travel with Suki, do you how is it difficult to bring her on the plane with you? Do you have to like buy a seat next to you for her to sit with you? No, she sits on the floor at my feet. So um, I lose all my leg room, but yeah. Man. <laughs> have you ever flown internationally with her? Uh, yeah, the furthest we've flown is to Hawaii. So um, we're looking, I mean, we're looking to go internationally. It's just, I haven't, I haven't booked that yet, but we've flown, um, we're in California. We've flown, you know, cross country to Florida a couple times. So, you know, flew to Hawaii. So that's, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's a frequent flyer already. So it, it, 
It works out pretty well. Yeah. She's seen the world. <laughs> That's so great. So at least the United States so far, but yeah. Well, one day she'll get international. Absolutely. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Right. Yeah. Do you have any um, ideas in mind of where you want to go? Um, I definitely want to go back to Europe. Um, and um, I, I used to live in Germany, so see my friends in Germany and um, I have friends in Costa Rica. I'd love to go back there. And um, one of my dream destinations I've not been to is I'd really like to go to New Zealand. So that's kind of on my list. That's a lot harder to get a dog into. So that's one that I want to, and it's a long, it's a long trip. So we'll probably, probably do some, some shorter ones to, to test it out and see how that works. Well, those are some great places that you have in the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to kind of walk through like how, how do you train your dog to detect glue? I know you explained before that, you know, the last trainer that kind of did it incorrectly had the dog smelling flour. Like what kind of. My trainer has proprietary training methods, so I can't go into specifics, but basically what you do is you get the dog smelling gluten and then you tie that to the behavior and then you make it more complex. So then they start to smell you know, gluten plus foods and then gluten in foods so that then you, then you test it. So it's a long drawn out process of a lot of steps. Um, in addition to then the behavioral steps that go along with it. So she goes from just individual identifying gluten to be able to sniff. So now I can take her to a restaurant and she'll smell the whole plate of food and tell me if there's gluten in the food. Um, and she can smell down down to trace amounts of gluten. So basically just the remnants of gluten, which would be like you'd get through cross contact. So is that like less than 10 parts per million she can detect? Hard to say. They've never, they, they, they haven't ever um, done that, but it's basically if you put, you know, some gluten on a piece of paper and let it sit there for a minute, she can smell that gluten. It's crazy. Yeah. So during training, like, did they have her, I'm sure they had her like smell gluten individually and then kind of mixing it all together with, you know, gluten-free foods. Is that what they did? You do gluten individually and then you mix it with foods and then, and then you do, you know, foods that have gluten in it. So a, a piece of bread or a cracker or, you know, or a crouton on top of a salad, those kind of things. So, and then, and then also liquids. So, you know, putting gluten inside of a drink. Or a soup that has barley in it. So all those things that then to, to work with that. So you you continue to do make it harder and harder until she gets the full spectrum of it. Has there been any times where she's caught the gluten or like surprising things that you didn't think um, contained gluten, but Suki found that it did? The most surprising was medicine. So she's detected uh, gluten in prescription medicines. Were they labeled gluten-free? Were there no labels? Because I know a lot of my prescriptions, they never have labeling on them. Prescriptions aren't labeled gluten, are, are not labeled gluten-free. I would say the one prescription I know for a fact had gluten in it because it was before she was trained and I took it and I was sick for two weeks. Um, the other one, the company says it's gluten-free. Um, but she alerted to it. So I did not take it and I reported it to them and I sent it back to them. I have never heard back from them in terms of their testing and stuff like that. But, you know, they don't test raw materials. When I, when I verified it, 
they said, yeah, our raw materials don't have, you know, we don't have anything with gluten in it. And I said, do you test the raw materials that come in? And they said, no, we don't. So we all know as celiacs that, you know, it gluten can get picked up really easily through a lot of products if you're not testing for it. So right, for sure, for sure. And um, besides like medicine, has she helped kind of like ease anxiety when going out to eat? Um, has she found like any cross-contamination factors when your food came to you? Yes. So she has found food in restaurants. She has eased it in that, um, you know, I'm surprised that I can eat safely a lot more than I thought I could. Um, so that, 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 you know, paw lift of her, I mean, uh, nose touch with her, um, clearing the food, then I know that it's going to be safe to paw lift means there's gluten. Um, but when we do that, then that makes me feel a lot. I, 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 it's surprising to me how say that there are a lot more safe foods than I thought. Now, having her does not make food inherently safer. It doesn't make it me have more restaurant choices. So I think one of the things going in that I thought that I was like, oh, this will be great. Then I can eat everywhere. I can be normal again. Well, you're not normal because you're also now going with the service dog. So people are wondering what's wrong with you. So that's number one. But number two, the biggest thing is it doesn't make a restaurant inherently safer or that they have safe food. So, you know, something it's kind of stupid, but I used to eat at El Pollo Loco drive through and I'd pick up this really grill, good grilled chicken salad fairly regularly. I have not eaten that since I was diagnosed. And I was like, oh, that'd be so fun to go get El Pollo Loco. And I talked to my trainer about that. Eating fast food is something that is kind of freeing in a way. Like you, you know, it's easy, it's more normal. Um, it doesn't make that fast food any safer. So I could go, I could get it, and I've never tested it with her. So it it may be she may surprise me and say it's safe, but odds are there's a lot of cross-contamination in that fast food restaurant, especially if I'm going through the drive-thru. So I probably will just waste my money and she'll tell me it's not safe, which has happened where I've gone places, I've bought food, she's raised a paw, it's not safe, and I've moved on. Right. And then I think to myself, though, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever, I wasted money. But what if you know, she didn't raise the pollen. It was gluten-free. It's like, then you said, as you said before, it's kind of like free and it's like, ah, okay, I can eat this and I'm not, you know, worried about it. Cause I'm sure there's times I go to restaurants that I choose not to eat that I could probably eat at. I just get so much anxiety about it. Cause I'm like, well, there's no way for me to test it. Like, unless, you know, you have a gluten detection dog or a NEMA sensor or something like that. And I don't have any of those tools right now. So I just use my common sense and just and, and that's that's what I'm finding is that it probably is safer than I thought it was um as long as I follow the the rules right and and I think that's one of the things I try and share with people uh, online is that the number one most important thing is you know how to read labels how to read ingredients and how to ask all the questions and the importance of asking questions so asking questions at a restaurant researching online reading a label on a package and then that food, then, then you've already done the due diligence. And then the, the dog's going to tell me 
that last level of safety. Yeah, I think that's important um, to talk about because you know this is kind of similar with the NEMA sensor. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about that recently too, but I feel like some people think that they can fully like rely on the gluten detection dog or on the NEMA sensor, and it's like that's just another tool in your toolbox to be able to like confirm what you already or the already the other knowledge that you already have and are using. Um, it's just like another safety net that can provide that, you know, security, but it's not like the end all be all. And that shouldn't be your first, um, you know, method to use. It's the, it's the last gate, but I still have to do all that work ahead of time. So it, it doesn't lessen that burden at all, but you know, then at least I know, oh, it is safe for me to eat. And I can actually then enjoy my food because I don't have this weight on my shoulders going, well, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to take a risk. It's probably safe, but I might have a really bad evening and a really bad day and a really bad next two weeks because it had gluten in it. And have you ever gotten cross-contaminated still, even though you've had Suki? Uh, Not since I've had her fully trained. That's kind of crazy. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing to hear. It's also a very long process and you have to have a dog, obviously. If you if you're comfortable, would you mind sharing how much it is to get a gluten detection dog trained? I mean, it it varies, right? So when I originally got it quoted, uh, they were saying like twenty thousand dollars for a trained dog. There's so much. There's so many vari- variables in there. My trainer has her rates all on the website, so you need to you need to train for. I'd say, I I would figure twenty four months. You need to train. Um, basically for at least an hour every single week. So basically four to six hours, um, you know, for four to eight hours a month, let's say. And, um, and then, uh, then you have the cost of the dog, um, and you have the cost of insurance and vet bills and additional training. So things like, um, you know, I did canine good citizen with her. I've done group classes. So all those kind of things. And then you need gear and things like that. So, you know, harnesses, booties, because she's out with me all the time. So I need to protect her feet if we're walking on hot pavement or cold. I mean, we live in California, so we're not really in cold and snow, but if I was in cold and snow, we want to protect. So all those kind of things that are just extra. And then, you know, for travel and stuff like that, you have to have extra expenses in terms of requirements, um, for, you know, vaccines and and things like that. So, so it does all add up. And I would say it's, I've probably spent more than that. Now she's almost three years old, you know, the end of this month, she'll be three. It's, It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I try not to think about it too much. So my thoughts are like, if you put the money aside, do you find, or would you recommend to others to get their dog trained? Um, Like, have you found it significantly helpful, um, you know, with celiac disease? Yeah, I mean, I don't think everybody needs it. I would say if you're somebody that has no problem, um, you know, eating out, not getting sick, don't have anything, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, definitely wouldn't do that. Um, If you are finding your health continuing to suffer, that would be something I would consider. Um, It's not... 
is easy. As you mentioned, NEMA sensor, that's something, you know, you just got this little device, you stick it in, you turn it on, that requires only charging, right? It's not, and you have to buy the capsules. This is a lifetime commitment and it's ongoing training. So it's not for everybody. Um, and it is having basically a toddler with you everywhere you go. So if I go somewhere, you know, this weekend I went to a funeral, I brought her with me. It was, it was, it was, um, in another town. So I just drove up there for the day. And, um, before the funeral, we were standing outside helping and she was super whiny and crying. Now she's normally never whiny and crying. I'm like, what's her problem? And, um, she wasn't, I, she seemed off. And so, um, it was a cool day and I just like, I'll just put her in the car with the windows open and she'll be fine. And she was sick. So, you know, it's one of those things that I have to watch for her and take care of her. So not everybody has that ability to have that commitment, the time, the energy for a dog. It's not just a plug it in and do it. And then you have it. I think that's important for people to take into account because obviously, you know, when you see it on social media, it sounds like such an awesome, you know, thing to do, but it is important to realize like, what, what are you committing to? What are, what are the costs of doing this? Um, do I have the time to take care of this dog and, you know, get, go through all this training and all of that. So. And it's ongoing, it's ongoing training too. So so like I'm, I'm doing, I have a, tra- I have a lesson later today that we're working on troubleshooting stuff, you know, so it's not, it's not necessarily a one and done. And will you have to train her for, you know, the rest of her lifetime or, you know, is it there a year where it's like, okay, she's good. She doesn't need additional training or do you have to kind of brush up on, um, you know, her skills, even if she is fully trained with dogs, you always have to be watching out for that. Cause you come into different situations and things that you maybe never have encountered. So, you know, the first time I went to the airport, I never put into consideration those kneeling buses that are on hydraulics that go up and down and they make that kind of noise. Um, you know, so it goes to the curb and it's going up and down. It makes this big, um, noise. Well, she was super afraid of that. So then I had to spend time at the rental car center at the airport on the way home, getting her adjusted to that noise of those buses because we've never trained it. So there's things like that that happen all the time. We might go to a new environment. Like she's never been in snow. We'll have to do training in snow and work on what that looks like and the unfamiliarity about walking on snow and ice. So there's training never ends with a dog. It's continual. Um, and you want to make sure you're not reinforcing bad habits and things like that. But, um, but yeah, so. that's, and it's interesting to hear cause I've never had a dog. I've always been a cat person. So yeah. obviously the training for a dog is very different. So yes. it's nice to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's well-trained, so it's not like I'm doing, I'm, I'm policing her all the time, but it's, you know, you all, there's always things that you encounter that you're like, okay, I got to work on that. You know, she's a pandemic puppy. So there were things that we didn't do either because everything was shut down when she was, you know, and so things that 
you so she learns new stuff all the time is there anything else you want to add I think you know the last question I kind of have is do you have any tips or tricks for anyone you know who's in the process of training their dog or anything that you wish you knew before um you started the whole process I didn't realize how much of it was me and not her um and that it is a it is a long term it's a marathon not a sprint I think I just thought, oh, we'll we'll figure it out. She's a smart dog. We'll move forward and we'll get everything. But it's it's continual. And she picks things up super fast. I'm not as fast. So I'd say don't get frustrated with training. So I have to continue work on that. I mean, part of most of the lessons are, okay, Kendra, you moved your hand too much or you did that or you sent her the wrong signal. When you when you go to a restaurant. What's kind of the process you go through? So I hold it in my hand and then she sniffs all around the edges. Um, but I have her sniff everything. So she sniffs, she checks the silverware and the napkins. She checks my water glass um, and she'll sniff around the edges and, and check everything. So any plate. Now, if it's a like family style, like let's say I went to somebody's house, I would put or a buffet, which buffets are still, you know, I would try and go through first and put each item on my plate or get maybe small plates. And then I have her check each plate at a time. If it's a restaurant, that's maybe like a, a takeaway kind of thing. I ask them then to put everything on the side because sauces I find tend to have more gluten in it. That tends to be an area of gluten dressings and things like that. So I will have her then sniff that so that maybe if I got a salad and everything in the salad was fine. The dressing, uh, a lot of times, will be have contamination. So I'll have her sniff that separately. Yeah. 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 So she sniffs everything. If it's all clear, she noses my puts her nose to my leg. Um, and then if it is gluten, she raises a paw. And then and then and then she goes under my chair or under the table and she lays down and needs to just be chill and relax. And, um, then I eat my dinner. So in all, would you recommend, um, a gluten detection dog for someone who thinks that they do need it? If they're willing to commit to everything, I mean, it's, I'm happy I have her. Um, but it's a major commitment. So I, I think, it's not just jump out and do it on a whim kind of a thing. I'm sure there's people who are just like, oh, the idea sounds cool. Let's do it. And don't realize the commitment of it. You have to figure out all those pieces. And, you know, traveling with a dog is not easy, even though it's great to have her. Then I can know that. But I'm like, okay, I need to watch my time. And we're going to a trade show this week. And I need to make sure that I manage my day that I have to make sure she's not too tired walking the show floor and checking stuff out. And then I have to have, you know, figure out where can I take her to go to the bathroom and, you know, all those things that you never think about and, and things that you don't have to worry about when it's just you. That, that makes sense. And I can only imagine, cause I, I just traveled here. I obviously, and it was a stressful day for me and I don't even have a dog with me. So I can't imagine like, you know, the extra layer kind of adds on top of it. Yeah. Plus all the stuff I have to bring for her bowls and food. And yeah, I need to bring toys too, that she can 
play a little bit in the hotel room, you know, and, and stuff like that. So if you bring a service dog, do you get like an additional bag that you can bring on a plane, like a, a carry on or check bag for the dog? Um, it depends. It depends on the airline. So yeah, I try to, I try to work it out. I fly at Southwest a lot. So Southwest automatically you get two bags. So that's easier. But then I also have to carry it and that's physically tiring too. So I'm still trying to work out the, the ins and outs of what that looks like for me. What, what's, I, I, I haven't, I haven't gotten to where I'm at the optimal status at this point yet. It was great talking to you. I appreciate all the insight and knowledge. Everywhere, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, it's at Suki PWD, which is S-U-K-I-P-W-D. That stands for Portuguese water dog. Suki's a Portuguese water dog. Um, and my website is SukiPWD.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kendra. I really appreciate you coming on here today and I'm excited for everyone to listen to this podcast. Thanks, Lauren. I hope that you guys enjoyed that chat with Kendra. I thought it was super insightful and I really didn't know how much would go into training a gluten detection dog, especially the trainings that occur after you've already started the process. I feel like I already knew that this would be a really big task to get a gluten detection dog and train the dog and everything, but I think a lot more goes into it than I was previously aware of. But I hope that this answered any questions for anyone who was possibly thinking about training a dog for gluten detection. I think it's super important for anyone to be aware of the situation that they are getting themselves into, and I think Kendra provided some excellent knowledge and insight onto what the real life experience is like. If you guys have any further questions that you would like to ask Kendra, you can reach out to her on Instagram via DM. Her Instagram handle is at SukiPWD or at S-U-K-I-P-W-D. It was so lovely getting to speak with Kendra and she's truly a wonderful human being, so she would be glad to answer any questions that you have. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, it would mean the world to me if you could write a review on your thoughts. And be sure to hit subscribe so that you can be notified when the next podcast episode is released. Okay, I love you guys, and I will talk to you soon. Bye!